G'day and welcome to the Mind Your Body Show. I am your host, Jacob Andre, and today I am talking to Graham Turner. Graham, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jacob. How are you doing? I'll, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm definitely missing some of that warm weather in Darwin. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to talk about that. We did work together previously in Darwin. Whereabouts are you now and what's the temperature? Oh, I'm back in Melbourne, um, sunny Melbourne. It's not that warm. Although, of course, I'm English, but I think I've gone soft now. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Melbourne, the home of my only ever world record, longest ever lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it would have been long. How did you go through that, actually? I've, yeah. Well, luckily, um, before lockdown, we'd moved, and so we were really near the beach. So got a 5K radius that meant I could go to the, the beach every day. Like, my dog absolutely loved it. He got the most walks <laughs> he's ever had in his life with that... Um, you know, that recreation time. Um, but actually the beach turned into, it was like a pub on the beach because the same guys just get turning up. It was like meeting all my old mates. Um, I can't, yeah, unofficially like a pub, of course. Um, but yeah, it was almost, I was a bit disappointed when lockdown lifted because my mates stopped coming to the beach. <laughs> so I did see on Facebook actually a couple of years ago, you did, you bought a beach house. Is this the place you're referring to? Oh, no, well, that's because Melbourne house prices are crazy. Um, and, yeah, I've got a taste for warmer weather. So yeah. I've, my retirement plan, I've bought a house in Queensland. Yeah, yeah. that's it, it. I thought it was a holiday home of some sort, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and how is that place going? Yeah, well, it's going Yeah, going really well. We don't, um, we don't get up there as much as we'd like to, but um, when we do, yeah, you just can't beat that that northern part of the country can you where you're getting more of that sunshine yeah well i think it's about 30 degree 32 degrees today and so it's nice and warm this time of year getting down to may it's not cold enough at night it hasn't been getting cold lately ideally it'd be under 20 but it's not even getting under 20 at the moment it's been a bit humid and cloudy yeah okay well i remember when i lived in darwin i never used the cold water in the shower ever <laughs> because it, it the cold comes out warm yeah yeah, it does. Yeah, there's no such thing as a cold shower. And even having ice bottles up here, you know, like it's it's not, it's actually like refreshing. It's nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, so hey, that's been a long time since we previously worked together at the Northern Territory Institute of Sport. We're going to get into this. You're now working at the Australian Institute of Sport. Before I go into that, though, tell me what did we interrupt in your day by doing this interview right now? Uh, that's a good question. Well, I'm lucky in my role that I'm, I'm quite autonomous, so I, I could be looking at a range of different things. So I've just um, I've just come back from the AIS where I was on an under-17 camp, and obviously camps go early mornings, late at night, so it just gives me a little bit of versatility to, to move a couple of things around. Yeah, that's cool. And so what are you doing now? What do you do? What's your role at the AIS? Yeah, my focus is on athlete development. Um, previously, I was working in coach development, but I've given, been given the opportunity, which I really was grateful for, to sharpen my focus on athlete development. And, and of course, there I'm engaging with coaches, but much more with, than just coaches, because if we talk holistic athlete development, then we've got all the performance services providers involved as well. You know, the S&C, like yourself, we've got the psychologist, the biomechanist, the skill acquisition. So you name it, um, of course, Athlete development it, it is holistic. We're trying to do a really good job of supporting athletes to, to win well at the IS. And so, 
yeah, it's just a new space for me, just coming off the back of a really interesting workshop with Swim in Australia, where we were looking at growth and maturation and how that influences trajectories of young athletes. Um, so yeah, real cool space to be in. So are you working with a range of sports or is there one sport in particular? Yeah, a range of sports, a big range. Um, I've got a portfolio that includes football. That's um, that's what the Aussies call soccer. Um, <laughs> netball, rugby sevens, snow, softball and wheelchair rugby. They're, they're in my new portfolio. But yeah, my job's given me loads of exposure. I was working with aerial skiing last year. Um, basketball, you name it, I've got, because uh, I run a national coach program as well at the IS, and of course I get all the different coaches from the different sports coming into that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into this, but let's go right back because we worked together previously in 2017, it would have been. Um, yeah. So give me the Graham Turner story of, you can go right back to when you are a young boy if you would like to, uh, <laughs> how you ended up in Darwin. But So what was your background back in England, which led you to Australia, Darwin, and then eventually into Canberra, or you know, in Melbourne, but with the AIS in Canberra? Yeah, sure. I'll try and make this story not too long. Um, so my background originally, um, professional football, so that's right, the round ball in England, um, was a, a technical coach to begin with at Wolverhampton Wanderers in the academy, but also I kind of made some pragmatic decisions, I guess, through, through my journey. Um, I wasn't an elite athlete, um, and in professional football, there's a lot of ex-footballers who've got the opportunity to get into the coaching jobs. So I saw an opportunity through... Um, a different side which was physiotherapy so I actually went that way after being a technical coach and worked as a physio in pro football for a few years got a bit bored of that actually and um, because it's less to do with performance you know yeah um, and I'm always like one a bit of adrenaline I did actually I did actually make the papers this is before the internet really so you wouldn't find it but I made the papers once because I jumped up off the bench when I thought we were going to score smashed my head on the dugout um, it was one of those dugouts that's um, see-through. This was a pro game, so all the fans were giving me loads of abuse, laughing at me, you know. The doctor came down, he said, oh, you need to get this stitched. And I was like, I can't, I can't like the game's still going on. So I had to get it stitched after the game. Um, so anyway, yeah, did physiotherapy for a bit. Then, um, yeah, got a bit bored of that. And I was involved in athletic preparation, you know, very similar to yourself, looking at all the different facets um, the UK, which I'll admit, decided that it would be a really good idea to copy Australia and have institutes. Um, and so that was the first time when the UK were going to start employing SNC coaches and they needed a way to quality assure the, the coach. So I became a founder member and a director on the board of the UK's Training Condition Association. I went that way, started working with lots of different sports. Um, so, for example, went to um, squash World Championships. So I was doing the SNC for someone who was in the top 10 in the world, working with Rugby League, Leeds Rhinos, and teams like that. Yeah, so, and at the same time, I got a job in university as a lecturer of sports coaching. And in actual fact, that all came to a bit of a grinding halt with an injury for me, which took me off my feet for quite a while. Um, Give me the opportunity to kind of reset and look at different things. We'd been on holidays to Australia. My wife was really keen. She had family here. And she said, you know, why don't we, why don't we look at emigrating? Um, so I said, yeah, okay, let's go for it. Like a really dumb idea, really. 
because we didn't have any jobs, you know. <laughs> so um, we, we got we had three kids. We both packed up our jobs and said, "Yeah, let's just go to Australia." Um, it wasn't even that straightforward to be able to afford it. And I guess this is kind of a moral of a story for me. You got to take some risks, you know. You got to take some risks and put yourself out there. So to be able to do that. Um, my wife left first with the two youngest. My eldest was still at uni. I stayed in England working so that I could send her money. You know, that's not easy when you when she's trying to get a rental saying, yeah, yeah, it is just me and the two kids. But I have got a husband, honestly, and he's and he will send money from England. <laughs> um, but uh, eventually I came over and I came over um, not with a job in sport to come to. And that's all I'd known, all I'd worked in. Um, and it's tough. It's really tough because no one knows you. So I saw the opportunity in, in the Northern Territory. Um, it was advertised as a one-year contract. It was like, come up, see what you think. We'll see what, what we think of you. Um, and to me, ironically, I said to my wife, I've seen this job. It looks really good in the Northern Territory. She was like, yeah, yeah, go for it. I'm not coming now. <laughs> so, um, so that's why uh, I came up to Darwin. I tell you what, you should, there's some, there's a few stories there. Like we're not even talking about sport, but try going on rent a room when you're 50, right? <laughs> because um, there's all these rooms available, and people are really keen. And then when they find out you're 50, it's like, oh, sorry, it's just gone. It's just gone. <sighs> like, so yeah, that was interesting. I stayed with a cool, a pretty cool guy in Darwin. Um, I can tell you about the time that he took me to a party in the forest. But anyway, perhaps I said. <laughs> Was that um, part, that wasn't like the pine forest or something, was it in Howard Springs? Do you remember where that was? Oh, well, I was trying to, like, I'd only just met the guy, you know, I was, I moved into his house and um, I was thinking, yeah, what's this guy like? And he said, look, I've got a couple of kids, you know, I'm split up from my wife, but they come around a couple of times a week. I thought, oh, the guy's normal, you know, that's normal. Um, so I said, yeah, that'll be good. Um, and the first night I was there on my own, he went out and I'm like, just trying to work out the remote, you know, sometimes remotes, you just can't get him to work. So I'm yeah. like messaging him saying, mate, I can't get your TV to work. And he said to me, um, oh yeah, that doesn't work. I'm like, well, why have you got a TV then? He said, oh, that's for my PlayStation. I'm like, ah, okay. So there's no TV. When I moved in as well, everyone said to me, it's hot, you know, it's hot. So you got a, you got a check, has he got aircon? So I said to him, have you got aircon? Um, he said, yeah, yeah, I've got aircon. I thought, oh, that's all right then. He said, I don't use it though. I said, what, what do you mean? He said, well, you can use it if you want, but the bills will, the bills will go up and you're gonna have to pay them. So uh, I actually thought, well, I'll give it a go. I never used aircon the whole time I was staying in his house. Really? Yeah, never used it. That, an Englishman not using aircon and you would yeah. have moved up in, I reckon, January, maybe December. Yeah. January it was. Yeah, which yeah. was middle of the wet season, so it's going to be yeah. hot and humid. Yeah, and that's the other thing. I came up with no car. Can you remember? I was on my bike, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, what, yeah. Like, what, a, what a naive Englishman on his bike in the wet season. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'm like pedaling along. Oh, absolutely soaked. Like, and I, everyone says it rains. Yeah, but you don't know what the rain's like until you're there. <laughs> um, I was really looking forward for the dry. But you know what? Um, that made no difference because then I was just soaking wet because I was sweating all the time. Um, but what I will say to you is, it's a really good way, if you want to try and lose some weight, right? Go shopping on your bike. Because, 
what you do is you look at everything on the shelves and you think, do I really want that? Because I'm going to have to put it in my rucksack and I'm going to have to pedal home with it, you know, and that rucksack gets heavy. So, um, yeah, I was pretty lean. I was enjoying it. Oh, I um, love that. That's another story. I just saw um, recently it was Territory Day, you know? Yeah. July 1, yep. Yeah, of course, I didn't know, you know. So July 1, oh, I was I was laughing about this. Um, I went shopping to Coles on my bike, right, on, on July 1. Yeah, so anyway, this is going. In the evening, and, like, everyone's setting off these fireworks, right? Um, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, this is pretty good. Anyway, it must have, must have got a bit boring for some people because they see this white, this white guy swaying, coming down on his bike and, and decide, oh, this will be fun. Let's fire the, fire the fireworks <laughs> at him. <laughs> so seriously, I've never I'll, lost yeah. it in an episode, but because uh, yeah. I can imagine it. I know these stories. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so well, what did you do? Well, I got a PB. I got a PB between home and coals. I'll tell you that. <laughs> oh, that's no, I haven't even got to the party. The party. So the party, the guy says to me, oh, we're having a party at the weekend. Uh, do you want to come? And I was like, I don't know about this. This guy's like a bit. Uh, so I said to him, um, where is it? And he said, it's in the forest. I'm like, whoa. I said, um, look, to be honest, mate, I, I don't do drugs, you know? And he said, no, no, it's not, nothing, nothing like that. Um, so uh, I, I still wasn't that keen on going. And I said, oh, um, I can't really go because I can't come with you because I need to do something. And I've only got my bike. And he said to me, that's okay. I'll go on my bike. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so like I'm following him on my bike through to this forest. Um, and he's like, bring your swimming gear. I'm like, what? <laughs> like, everyone, everyone said to me, you do not go in the water. You do not go in, right? Because of the crocs. And he's like, no, nah, no, nah, it's fine. We're going to go swimming. I'm like, you can't be doing that. He said, no, it's fine because Nigel's checked it. Nigel's checked it, right? So this guy... <laughs> Actually, I've got photos of this. Um, this guy called Nigel turns up, right? And um, he's got his swimming goggles, right? So he's been in. He's checked it. Like, it's all good. But he, but Nigel turned up on his bike, and he was towing a sound system. He was towing a sound system, right? He's got decks. He's like giving it all this on the side of the water. Um, and I'm like, this, like, this is different. Like, people said it's different in Darwin, but yeah, whoa. So anyway, they're like, yeah, come on, we're going in the war. I'm like, nah, I can't be doing that. So anyway, I said, I'll tell you what, I'll come in like, real quick, and I'm getting out real quick. I just need to get a photo, okay? So I've got, I've got this photo of me with these two guys, and uh, I thought, I'm going to send this to my wife. She's going to go mental, saying, you know, what the hell are you doing going in the water? But she took one look at it and said, you you just far too pale. You need to get a tan. <laughs> <laughs> Was this yeah. a beach or a, like a, a lake or? No, it, no, it's just through the trees. I'll send you the pictures after. I've still got them because I thought I'll keep in these. Um, so I don't know. I've got no idea where it was. <laughs> I'm really concerned about where this was because there's some real dangerous places. There's some places that aren't too bad, but there's some places that are really dangerous. And I've got an idea of where you might have been around. So um, I'm actually thankful that you're still alive, to tell you the truth. Well, I have got another story about a crocodile, but like this is nothing to do with why I came in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> do we have to change the title? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, for Sea Star, I've got a story about crocodiles. Do you want that what one? What is up? it? Yeah, yeah, give it. <laughs> so, um, like when I was leaving, right, I hadn't seen a crocodile. So you remember, you remember Loris? Um, and yeah, Loris yeah. was like, oh, I've, been, I've seen him. I've Real been quick, seen. we're referring to Loris Bertolacci, episode number one ever of the Mind Your Body show. Yeah. So Loris is like, yeah, I've been to see him. You know, you can go on a proper tour thing. And he's like, you got to come before you leave. And I was like, yeah, okay. So we bought the tickets because it's a bit far away, you know. So anyway, we set off and we're going along. He'd only been there once before, so he didn't really know the way. And now we see. Oh, this you, sign. Uh, was Loris driving? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh man. So um, we see this sign which says to the to the Crocs this way, right? <laughs> and it didn't look like a very official sign. Anyway, Loris <laughs> is like. Yeah, I don't really remember going that way, but that must be the way then. So uh, next thing you know, we're, we're on a dirt road, right? Like in the middle of nowhere. So anyway, we, we, we carry on a bit and we get to this little shack with these couple of people and, and this really old boat. And um, we say, oh, we're looking for the, the croc tour. They said, oh, show, show us your tickets. So we showed them. They said, yeah, that's not this croc tour. That's the croc tour. <laughs> that's over there but you're not going to make that one now <laughs> so do you want to come on ours so they did it on purpose they put this sign up to get people it would go into the proper one to come to theirs instead right yeah now i've got i've got this theory you know in trafalgar square in london they've got loads of pigeons and the pigeons are really fat because everyone feeds them all the time right yeah. yeah so i reckon on the official croc tour you've got fat crocs well, let me tell you, the one we went on, skinny crocs. <laughs> like skinny crocs, they're, look, they're like hunting. And this is what it was like. We like get to this bit and there was a big croc and there's this piece of meat hanging out, you know, and it comes, comes up like this. And the guy's saying, do not put your hands out, nothing like that. And we're like, yeah, yeah, this is really cool. We're all looking at this big croc. Next thing you know, the captain starts shouting, screaming, sit down, sit down, we need to get out of here. So like we turn around, we're like, we're surrounded by crocs, surrounded by crocs. Like, and when the captain's worried, you know, this is a bit, but anyway, he takes us back. And then um, it was almost like, yeah, that's it. Good, thanks very much, off you go. He didn't even tie the boat, right? He's just got it on the revs. He's going in and out, like there's a gap going like this, woo, like this on the water. And you just have to jump off. Like, yeah, health and safety, it's not quite the same. <laughs> was that, oh man, I've got a similar story like that in Thailand, but completely different circumstance, but I can just imagine. So was there other people on this tour? Yeah, 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 they were. They all went, they all went the wrong way as well. <laughs> That's like amazing marketing. Just put yeah, a sign up. Come this way, oh man! So what ha- what happened with the crocodile? So why was he so concerned? Did you ever find out? It was just because you were being well, surrounded. There was, there was six of them around us. Six. Oh, and while we, while we'd all been watching the one, the others were stalking us. Oh, so value for money. I don't know. Yeah. Crazy. So did, wait, wait. So you'd already paid for the other tickets to go on the other one? Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. And did you have to pay for this one as well, or did he just let you go for free because you're going? Oh miss no, it? we had to pay. Yeah, we had to pay uh-huh. again. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> hilarious. Oh, man. So you've got a name for your trip to Darwin. Do you care to um, explain it? What, what it was, what your year and, was it a year and a half or two years? 
How no, no, it wasn't that? even a year in the end. It wasn't, it wasn't even, even a year. year. Yeah. Do you remember what, it was, what you called it? I called it the boomerang plan. That's right. Yeah, so the you, plan. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, the boomerang plan. Yeah, because um, don't get me wrong, Darwin's a great place. Um, I'd always be tempted to come back and I love the heat. Um, but I had kids in school. We just moved. They'd got settled. It wasn't an option to move them again, you know, and I'd already spent a year with my family split up. So to then go and split up again, yeah, I was really motivated to get back with the family. Yeah, yeah. And uh, what was that first job that you went into after you left the NTIS? Yeah, so that was with Gymnastics Australia. So they advertised a position for a national elite coaching manager. Uh, and in gymnastics, they've got four um, sports, the men's, the, the women's, the rhythmic and the trampoline. Um, and what it worked out was if they chose a person who's, uh, who's an expert in one of those sports, then the other three weren't that happy about it, you know, because they felt a bit neglected. So they came up with the ideal solution. Let's employ a guy who's, who knows nothing about any of them. <laughs> <laughs> so that was me, yeah. Uh, and, and so you have a level three ASCA qualification, is that correct? Yeah, well, I guess it's equivalent. Mine's not ASCA, but mine's UK Strength and Conditioning. So yeah, I'm, I'm fully accredited and I was one of the assessors um, in the UK. Which for anyone that doesn't know, means that you're highly accredited as a strength and conditioning coach. And you were um, saying earlier that you, in back in England, you were doing some of that work. You were talking about how England started to adopt same, some of Australia's um, models with the Institutes of Sports. What year timeframes are we talking about there? Yeah, we're talking about um, early 2000s. So I reckon 2003, when the UK Strength and Conditioning Association first began. And so my memory of that time was that Australia started to put a lot of money into sport uh, because of the Olympics coming up in Sydney 2000 in whenever it was announced in the, in the 90s. Is that why? Because Australia did perform. It was its best Olympics ever at that point in time, the Sydney Olympics. Uh, I think it was actually, I think Australia outperformed in the most recent Olympics, that Sydney Olympics. But correct me if I'm wrong on that, but I think it was the first time they've outperformed Sydney the Sydney Olympics. But is that why? Because Australia had performed well that England adopted it? Yeah, well, I think um, there was the view that you need to have a systematic approach. And if you could have a model that incorporated all the different service providers, then that's going to give the athlete at the elite level the, the maximum opportunity for success. So, yeah, there was definitely um, a lot of Aussies Coming over to, to GB then, and back in the day, there were people like in the UK with SNC, people like Adam Beard, who I think he's with, um, he's a, with one of the AFL teams in Perth now, whereas previously he's, he's been in the, the uh, USA. People like Phil Moreland, who's worked at N-Swiss as head of SNC. He was head of um, SNC at Sport Institute in Northern Ireland. And there was someone called Narelle Sibti, who works in tennis over here, I think now. So yeah, there was a real strong Aussie presentation in the system in England. And of course, we, we were learning from what was going on from those kind of people. Mm. So then you eventually came over to Australia to catch up with the rest of the family. You came to Darwin for this experience. Uh, do you feel like the time in Darwin, you had a great time by the sounds of it and you had plenty yeah. of uh, stories to be able to share from it. Do you feel like it was worth your while to do that for where you've got to now? 
Oh, well, it was for a number of reasons. Um, I hadn't long finished my PhD and I always say, well, two things. You must be mad if you want to do a PhD. And after your PhD, you definitely need rehabilitation because <laughs> you, you need to learn how to speak properly again without using stupid words. Um, and so Darwin just taught me right outside my, my comfort zone um, in terms of what I knew, what I was used to, the different um, regional environments, the different approach to people. So, yeah, learning about the challenges of regional communities. I remember going to Catherine and things like that. Just really eye-opening for me, learning more about the culture, the indigenous people and uh, the strong heritage and how that's so important to the country was, was just fantastic. And then it was, um, it was the opportunity to get into the system, you know? Um, yeah, so when I applied for the next job at Gymnastics Australia, obviously I was, I was then working as a coach and athlete development consultant at NTIS. So I'm sure that, that went in my favor rather than being someone who wasn't working in the, in the um, Australian system. So yeah, ironically now I've worked in an institute, I've worked in the Australian Institute of Sport, I've worked for an NSO, uh, Gymnastics Australia, and I've worked for, a, for an SSO, did a little bit of work for um, Gymnastics Victoria after that. So yeah, it gave me a good insight into the federated model, which of course was something new to me. And is there anything else? So that was, so we're talking 2017 through to now in 2023. So after you yeah. left the NCIS and you went to Gymnastics Australia, uh, what else has been happening in that time? Anything beyond what you just mentioned then with the uh, Victor uh, Gymnastics Victoria and then AIS? No, well, that's the thing. Again, you see, took the risk, took the risk to come to Australia, took the risk of a one-year contract at NTIS, took the risk of a one-year contract at Gymnastics Australia. What I'd say is as well, there's a lot of people who won't take those risks. Um, especially as they get a bit older, they've got financial commitments, they've got family, people won't take those risks. You know, people don't, don't want to have the risk of not having an income and they don't want to spend the time away from their family. But in, in those risks, you find opportunities because it's a really competitive field and it, it, it kind of means that there's less people going for those opportunities. So yeah, um, Gymnastics Australia made it really clear one, um, they had someone who was on secondment, so they only needed someone for a year because that person would have been coming back. So I knew that I wouldn't have a job. At the end of that, um, yeah, I was unemployed again. And um, that's interesting when you're unemployed um, and you start to think about brand and recognition and actually who knows me and knows what I can do and how can I sell myself. Um, but fortunately for me, um, Gymnastics Victoria knew about me from Gymnastics Australia. They, they asked me if I'd come and help them implement their high performance plan for the state, um, which I did. And then on the back of that, the job at the IS came up. It was the first time in recent times that um, there'd been a serious investment in pathways for the system. And so there was a new team recruited at, at the IS. Um, I was part of that new team. So yeah, I've been there. Um, about four years now, which is quite which is um, quite a long time for me in a, in a job, actually. Looking to, <laughs> probably looking to get rid of me soon. <laughs> well, it sounds like the, there's a real theme here to what you're saying, and it's all it's to me taking risks. And I like yeah. what you said that taking the risks is where the opportunities lie. <clears throat> um, what you mentioned that you had just done your PhD before you came to Darwin. 
what was your PhD called? What was it about? So it was called Talent Mentalities and it was about talent development in sport. Um, but I kind of, I've been in this, this area for a while, you know, and I just kind of got to a different space where I started to think about things differently. I suppose what's really good, and you'll know this yourself, um, when you got your own kids, you know, you learn a lot from your kids. Um, and I suppose I was seeing talent development programs and all the experts who were advising young athletes on what they should be doing, how should they, how they should do it, what, where they should go, who should coach them, what they needed, all this, all this expertise, teaching young athletes. But I started to think, um, but actually, what could young athletes teach us? And if we could learn from them, wouldn't that help us to do a better job in support, supporting and developing them? So that was the concept really, instead of trying to do something that would explain why an athlete was talented or how far we thought they could go, what was their potential, just flipped it on its head and said, no, I'm not interested in how people, how good people think you might be. What I'm actually interested in is what's it like to be a 15 year old in this talent development program? You know, tell me, tell me about the pressure Tell me about the coaches and the things you have to deal with. Tell me about the stress when you're trying to manage your exams. Tell me about the competition and uh, all the, the injuries you've got to deal with. So, yeah, I spent a year um, with a group of young people. You know, like most people with a PhD, you've got all these fancy ideas, um, but the kids soon told me that they weren't very good. My ideas weren't very good. <laughs> um, in actual fact, I, I thought to myself, yeah, kids, they're all on the phone. You know, it's all about social media. Um, so that's the way to, to connect to these kids. They're sharing it anyway. Just share it with me. Show me what, what you've got. So I had a meeting with a group of kids. So this wasn't sports specific. This was different sports. So I did that. I had sports saying, I'll oh, come and do it with our kids. And my point was, no, this isn't about sport. This is about young people. I actually want to support them and empower their voice. Um, so a group of boys and girls, different sports. And my idea was, uh, you know, if you're tweeting, if you're on Instagram, if you're on TikTok, if you're on Be Real, just share it with me so I can see what's going on. They were like, yeah, yeah, we'll do that. I said, okay, I'll give you, I'll give you around six weeks. I've got this platform, took ages at the university to get ethical approval, you know. You've been you've been through university working there, you know um, all the constraints. But yeah, I got this platform all set up. I said, yeah, six weeks, I'll come back and see you. They didn't share anything. They didn't share anything with me. <laughs> like, why would they? I'm just this random guy. They don't even know me, you know. I was just thinking the way that you said, oh, yeah, they said, yeah, no worries, we'll share it. I thought, yeah, geez, that's a bit of an outlier. Exactly. Um so I went back. Most of the kids didn't turn up after that. <laughs> but the ones that were left, I was like, what's the best way for me to do it? And they said, and this is out of the words of, of um, babes comes the wisdom. Well, why don't you just come and see what we do then? Ask us about it. So I was really fortunate because this coincided with my family moving to um, Australia. So I stayed behind, which meant... Um, I didn't really have any responsibilities anymore on my time. I was just going to work and doing what I did. Um, so I, I'd arranged to see these kids and it was a bit of a slow burn 
Because at first, um, I, again, ironically, ethical clearance said, you are not allowed to communicate with kids on your phone or on their phones. Oh yeah, okay. So send kids So send kids an email. Yeah, kids don't read emails. Yeah, no? No. So I'd be like turning up for a meeting. They weren't there because they didn't read the email. And then yeah. I just bump into them. Oh yeah, sorry, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, never mind, do you want to chat? Um, yeah. So eventually what they learned was, oh, this guy's not judging us. You know, he's not judging us at all. And actually, he told us that he wouldn't tell the coaches or the parents or the teachers, and he isn't either. So we kind of get a bit more secure around it. And then I'd have a meeting. I can remember one meeting with a netball player, and she was like, yeah, this is what's going on. Oh, yeah, and I forgot to tell you, I've got a trial tonight. It's like a regional trial. It's like two hours drive away. You can come if you want. I was like, yeah, I'll be there, you know. Um, so just went and they said, well, can I catch up with you in a couple of days? Just ask you what that was like. And she was like, yeah, good. Then I had another, another rugby player and he was like, um, he like text me. this Because the funny thing is the university said you're not allowed to um, use phones. But when they did realize they had an email, guess where they looked at it? On their phone. Right? <laughs> so they're using phones anyway. Um, so the one guy, Sunday morning, half eight, he texts me and says, oh, I forgot to tell you, I've got a trial today for the county, because this was back in England. Um, you can come if you want. So I'll be there. So again, two hours in the car. So all of a sudden, I started entering this, the world of the kids where they don't plan, yeah. you know? And they just say, oh, this is, this is what's happening. Um, and so I'd go along, video stuff, then meet up, say, what was going on there then? Um, and the real focus of this was, I had to practice not leading them anywhere in the conversation because it was about what they wanted to tell me. Um, so yeah, got some really great work off that and completed the PhD, but, and this is where it comes to the book really, it gave me a problem, it gave me a problem because um, I'm a bit over academia, okay? Yeah. Um, so of course, Everyone wants you to publish your journal articles. But what I realized was, um, if I publish a journal article, I've got to reduce the story because they don't want the full stories. And, and to me, that wasn't going to do the job. So I left it alone, didn't publish anything for it, but then I, I, it kept nagging away at me because I, I thought, well, look, the reason that I've done a PhD was because I, I wanted to try and uh, have an impact on the experience of young people, try and make it better, try and get parents to understand, try and get help coaches to understand. Um, so it was nagging away at me and I thought, right, I'm going to look into this. I'm going to, I'm going to look into doing my own book. Um, so I started learning about that. I went to a, went, when I was unemployed, actually, I went to a conference in Melbourne where there's a guy from America. He travels around the world um, encouraging people to write their own book. But he's, he's got a company they'll help you do it, right? And he does a two-day workshop. And what he says to you is, I'm not selling, I'm not selling. Um, you can come for free. And at the end of it, if you're still interested, then I'll tell you what the deal is and it's up, up to you if you want to sign up. So I thought to myself, yeah, well, I'm not stupid. I'm going to go along, I'll get all the free stuff and I'm not going to sign up, but I'll do, do it myself, you know? Yeah. So um, I did him as good. He's a real psychologist, really clever at drawing people in. And you know, here's the thing. Everyone thinks they've got a book inside them, all right? Everyone yeah. does. For most people, the advice is that's where it should probably stay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, by the end of this workshop, everyone believes that they can publish a book, right? 
And uh, I was still there. And he said, look, so this is the deal. If you want to do it, here's my team. We'll help you. We'll, you know, you just talk to us. We'll write it for you. We'll market it. We'll do the whole thing. And this one-time offer signed today should be this much, but we'll do it for this much. They were queuing up at the table, queuing up at the table to like sign up to write their book. He's charging them 30 grand each. Whoa, 30 grand each. And I was thinking, nah, I don't need to do that. I can do it myself. And that was the discounted price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, snap. So um, I'm thinking, yeah, I can do this myself. But it's a bit of a grind, you know. And um, But he really motivated me because I tell you what, he had this saying that I remember. And what he said was, you don't make money off a book. Okay, don't think you'll make money off a book. Like I, I'm not expecting to make money off my book. I've done it because I'm hoping it'll help young people. Okay. Yeah. Um, but what he said was, for most people, if they've got a business, and again, I've, I'm not in a business, I work for the IS, so I'm not trying to sell my time to anybody. Um, he said, for most people, it's actually good as a, a marketing tool, you know, that you can give books away or whatever, and you can help generate in, interest in your business. Um, and what the saying that he had was, the money's in the database, okay? And what he meant by that was the people. So what he does is, Everyone who's been to his workshop, and this guy does in Melbourne, Sydney, Perth, then he'll go to the USA, he's all around the world. So what he'll do is after the workshop, if you didn't sign up, you're still in his database and he'll keep sending you emails, right? And he sent me this email and it really gave me the fire in my belly because he said, if you could have done it on your own, you would have done it by now, Mm. okay? And I thought, right, thank you very much. That is the fire in the belly that I need. I'm going to crack on with this. So what I actually decided to do was I wanted something that was user-friendly, right? Who wants to read a PhD? Nobody. So ironically, after spending all this time going through the academic process, I hired an editor to make my work not academic. Yeah. So, and I had a pretty simple recipe. What I said was, look, I'm going to take the stories. They're not academic at all because they're the kids' words, you know. Um, But what I want to do is package a little bit around it with some key themes, some key messages, some talent development tips. And I want you to just run your eye over it. Anything that's sounding a bit um, too complicated, then just tell me, you know, what needs changing. So, yeah, pay for an editor. Um... And then my next problem came because I was like happy. I was happy with what I'd written and what it was going to look like. But the next problem is if you're going to do your own book and I, I was going to do it on Amazon. So what this means on Amazon is it's really good because I, don't have, I didn't have to pay loads of money to print loads of books. Amazon is print on demand. So if someone wants the book or if they want a Kindle, they just pay. Um, and again, the price is, the price is I, I priced it low so that people don't feel that it's um, expensive. And so it just means that if someone wants it, yeah, they pay Amazon and it comes to them. But what I knew was people say, don't judge a book by the cover, but they all do, mm-hmm. right? They all do. So I thought I need to have a good cover. Um, and I spent months thinking, what do I want for the cover? And here's my problem. My book is about young people, boys and girls, but it's, all, it's about sport but it's not sports specific. 
So I needed a picture. Like you don't find many pictures of boys and girls doing sport together because that doesn't yet tend to happen. Um, I wanted it at the right kind of age, not too young, but this is young athlete, so not, not adults. Um, and I wanted it to be, again, not sport specific. So how do you find a sports picture that isn't sport specific? So I had to then hire a designer to come up. So I gave him the brief. Um, so this it's, it's interesting, you know, uh, you, like this guy's from Boston in the USA. So I've never met him. He's just on a, a platform called Reedsy where you go on, you see all these um, designers, you see all the designs that they've done before. Um, you, you get the vibe for whether you think someone's kind of got this, the kind of designs that you're looking for. Went with this guy, give him the brief. Again, loads of learning experiences because you need to be really good at giving someone a brief. Because if you if he sends it you and you say, hmm, yeah, don't really like that, try something else, then very quickly he's going to say, sorry, but you've I've used all my time that you've paid for. So I can give you another example if you want, but you're going to need to pay for it. Um, so anyway, my guy was pretty good. We we went with yeah three three design um, iterations, and he came up with something that I I never would have thought of it myself, and it's just the whistle. You know, um, I was thinking, yeah, I need to have the athletes on there, but now the title kind of does the job, the young athlete's perspective. Um, I wanted people to get a picture of, well, this is a kind of storytelling book. So it's got talent development stories on the front as the, the subheading and it's got the whistle. And I know not every sport has a whistle, um, but yeah, I was, I was pleased, pleased with it in the end. Well, so I, I love how simple it is. It's a white cover with a yellow lanyard for the whistle, the young athlete's perspective, talent development stories, what they want and need, Graham Turner, PhD. It's so simple but so effective. And you know the thing I love the most about it, you posted this on your personal Facebook profile and it's on a yellow backdrop. It looks like that if you're watching this on on YouTube. And it stopped me in my tracks. That's why I sent you the message that, hey, can we do this podcast episode, which I've asked you to do once once before. I realised like 2021 um, when I saw our messages. But it's so simple and effective. I love it. Yeah, well, and again, that's where you learn, you know, know your skill set. My skill set is not design. (laughs) (laughs) So you know, just to confirm, you didn't use that guy that was going to help you with the book for the $30,000? Oh, no, I didn't use him at all. No, no. So, um, yeah, I paid an editor and I paid a designer. Um, so I use those good guy that the editors from Queensland, Brisbane, the designer from Boston in the U S never met either of them, but worked really well online. Um, they came up with it and, uh, yeah, as I said before, um, I'm not in the, I'm not really in the business of trying to make business out of my book because I haven't got a website. There's no website. Um, I haven't got time really, um, to be working for anyone else. <laughs> Um, I've done it because I believe that the messages from young people are strong messages and that adults could really deal with um, listening to. Um, and yeah, pretty stoked with the feedback so far because yeah, it's just, I've just put on a couple of socials um, and people seem to be enjoying it. Do you know a guy called Nathan Parnham? Rings a bell. 
So if you don't, I'm going to I'm going to connect you two up because I think you two would have so much in common. He wrote a book called The Sporting Parent. He's been a guest on this podcast before. Oh yeah, and uh, really interesting stories. And you two would have so much in common. And I'm sure you would just create so much, um, oh, like amazing things for young people in the sporting space. Um, Nathan is the head strength and conditioning coach at Brisbane Grammar. He's previously worked with Parramatta Eels and the Australian Rugby Sevens. Um, But he he was in Sydney, he's now in Brisbane. And as I said, working um, at Brisbane Grammar with a lot of like young athletes. But I just think you two would have so much in common and it it would be a disservice to the community not to have you two connected. So make sure that happens afterwards. Um, So what, what advice would you have for anyone who is writing a book i know you've already said many people who have the idea probably shouldn't write it but for someone who's like and other people are telling them yeah this is great you need to get this out what advice would you have for anyone who is thinking about writing a book number one don't expect to make money and <laughs> yeah. um, that's i've, not, I've that's heard not. that i've interviewed a lot of people who've written books and pretty much every single one of them has said that by the way yeah um so yeah, I wouldn't. You know, I, I'm kind of joking about about it. people shouldn't write books. Yeah, I, I'd always encourage because I, I, I've had quite a bit of fun. You learn quite a lot. So yeah, in terms of my advice is, um, first of all, don't get it right, get it written, because people spend too long, you know, pro- procrastinating. That's what we that's what we all do. So if you got an idea, just don't get it don't get it right, get it written. Just get stuff down um, check it with people whose opinions you value um, to get a bit of feedback on what they think about it. Um, I would definitely advise work with an editor, work with a designer, but be really clear on understanding how you need to brief them. Otherwise, you'll get yourself into um, a proposition that's going to cost you more money than you think it, it should have. Um, and then when you get into looking at Amazon and things like that, um, there are a few technicalities. One of the things I did do was I got introduced to someone who wrote a book about writing a book. <laughs> her name's Kylie Dunn. So um, her, her book's called Write to Launch. So that was really useful. I've got a book. I took the advice from it, and I also met her and had a, had a chat with her. Um, so, yeah, that, that's what I'd say. And then in terms of once you've written it, that gets interesting because what people will say is you can anyone can put a book on Amazon okay and Amazon I'm sure is a graveyard for loads of books yeah <laughs> because um, if you don't have a marketing plan then no one's gonna see it no one's gonna buy it so I, I hold my hands up right I haven't really got a marketing plan um, just because like I said I'm not trying to generate business um, I'm fortunate that ironically after 2017 saying that I didn't know anyone, I'm fortunate that in my work now, I'm connected to a lot of people who will have um, similar challenges around supporting parents um, and also coaches about the best way to work with young athletes. So for me now, I'm just in the position where when someone's asking me questions, I can say, well, here's something you can look at if, if you want, yeah. you know, yeah. where I'll, I'll put the ideas in. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, that was the first uh, type of person I wanted to ask about, someone looking at writing a book. There's two more that I want to ask about. And the first one is coaches. 
what advice would you give to someone who is looking to get to where you are now working in at, at the top level at the Australian Institute of Sport? Okay, so we've covered we've covered take risks. Yep. Um, you got to find a way to put yourself out there. Um, and what what do I mean by that? Well, you've got to you've got to um, make an impression. My first job working for Wolverhampton Wanderers, I was a football coach, so I was coaching the university in Wolverhampton, but I've always been a learner. So I did a I did a, a sports first aid course, and then there was the opportunity to go on another program, which was sports therapy. And I just thought, oh yeah, that's interesting. I'll, I'll go on it. Um, I can still remember I was attending that on Friday nights when I was a, a student at university. So when everyone else was enjoying themselves on a Friday night, I used to get picked up by this old guy in a three-wheeler car. And he used to drive me to this um, course. Um, but I've always tried whatever I do to do as be- as well as I can. So I ended up um, getting a top score in the exams for that course. And the person who um, was was delivering the course worked for Wolverhampton Wanderers. And he said to me, we're looking for someone um, to be a physio with our youth team. Are you interested? And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, and then what happened was, when they took me in to do that, they said, oh, and you're actually a qualified coach as well. I'm like, yeah. So this, and then they said, oh, so do you want to coach the kids as well? So I was like, yeah, of course I do. So there's an example of by choosing not to go out on a Friday night with my mates and put myself out a little bit and making a good impression, working hard, doing things that other people wouldn't do. But you've got to be consistent. Even when I'd finished my master's degree um, and again, I moved it was another year contract. I moved to Yorkshire, Leeds, and uh, got in touch with Leeds United. Said, "Look, um, just look, just wondering if I can help out in any way." They said, "Yeah, sure, you can help out." So I used to go to the academy and um, help with the physical prep of the athletes. By this stage, I'd worked in a number of professional clubs. I got a master's degree. I was working for free. I was doing it for free for Leeds United. Um, just because I'm always going to learn something. I enjoy myself doing the work um, and you never know what it's going to lead to. So yeah, that, that'd be the other tip, you know, just keep reaching out, looking for opportunities, see where you can make connections. You never know where it might end up. You could end up on a podcast with a guy who you met a few years back. (laughs) I love it. That's awesome. All right. So my last one, my last group are the athletes. In everything that you've seen from your time back in England through to now in Australia, and particularly you've had a lot of experience working with young athletes, obviously with your PhD writing the book and all that, what advice would you give to a young person who wants to make it to the top level of their sport? Yeah, that's a tough one, isn't it? Because you've got to find a real balance between encouraging them to pursue their dream because you don't want to go with the negative message of, you know, the odds are against you. You want to support them. You want to, you know, you want to support them to chase the dream, but you've got to be really careful about the identity that they build. Um, and so you've got to reinforce the things that are important outside of sport. Spending time with friends, spending time with family, celebrating occasions, 
focusing on the schoolwork, making sure that you've got options because you know we're, we're one injury away from that's the end of sport. So yeah, that that kind of holistic developmental aspect is where I would go. And then in terms of um, the young person and them trying to do everything that they can do to make it, you've got to be really careful with that because that's where I've, I've seen lots of examples of young athletes who they're not sure on ability, they're not sure on commitment, but actually they'll do too much. So that'll affect them physically. Um, definitely during adolescence, if they're in and around that growth spurt, they're predisposed to a higher rate of injury. Um, in terms of the, the psychology, real difficult transition from 18 to open age, where you might have been one of the best in your age. Now you're in with the seniors and all of a sudden you're struggling to get picked and you can't play. So just keeping that, keeping that in balance. Um, yeah, balance is a real, real key one for me in terms of um, the outlook and where you think it might go. Yeah, I love it. I love that word balance. <clears throat> um, and I know that you've got three kids of your own that have um, done very well for themselves. How are they going now? I know that your yeah, son well, is a pretty handy rugby player. Yeah, well, that's it. Like I say, I've learned a lot. I mean, when I talk about my son, he um, he was a footballer originally. I keep asking myself, where did it all go wrong? Uh, because, <laughs> he, because he decided that um, he liked rugby better than football. And he had a real good go, you know. Um, and he got into the Melbourne Rebels um, program. So he's with them to under 20s. And on the back of doing pretty well at state championships, he got a pro contract at Western Force. So he was at Force and of course he was the young lad. Um, so again, difficult to get game time. Um, so we did a year there and then he had an opportunity in England where he was uh, with a championship level club. Um, but it was around the time of COVID where they actually had to, had to close the league down. Um, so he made the choice Ironically, he loves Australia. He loves the um, outdoor lifestyle. Um, so after growing up until he was 16 in England and then going back, he decided actually I'd much rather be in Australia. So he made the decision um, to come back and to pursue his studies. So he's still playing rugby, but, but he's, he would say that he's playing it to enjoy himself. And uh, he's following his studies. He's actually train, training to be a, um, a vet. So doing a, a six-year degree in um, veterinary science. So I guess he's, an, he's a good example, you know, of someone who did pretty well in sport, um, got to that transition point where it's really hard to make the breakthrough, but he hadn't got all his eggs in one basket. He, he focused on his schoolwork. He gave himself other options. And um, he's, he's having a blast. He's just been on placement. He was sending me pictures of uh, him on a, on a motocross bike um, out in northern New South Wales, like riding sheep up. And, he, <laughs> and he's loving it. <laughs> just be careful letting him come up to Darwin and start wrangling crocodiles. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Graham, this has been an amazing conversation and there's so many nuggets of gold information in this. 
Uh, it's just been phenomenal. Um, you know, as we start to wrap up, I just want to acknowledge you for all the work that you do. Like it's a mountain of work that you've done over the years, you know, particularly working with young athletes and, you know, still being there as a father and um, you and your wife being able to like be amazing parents to your three children and, you know, still pursue your own careers. Like it's just, you mentioned the word balance, like you personified, I think. Um, so, so well done. And thank you for your time on the Mind Your Body Show. Before I let you go, though, I've been taking some notes as you've been writing. Uh, and so what I would love is to go through a quick 10 and 10. So if I go through and read out each of these points, you just give me the first thing that comes to mind. You keen for it? Yeah, let's go. All right. Number one, warm weather. Love it. Feel free to go into detail if you want and tell another story. Uh, number two, <laughs> athlete development. Yeah, complicated. Um, so let's keep it simple. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. Keep it simple. Uh, the KISS principle. Number three, physio, physiotherapy work. Yeah, it's, in, it's an important role. Um, I just didn't get the same adrenaline, you know, because mm. you're always putting people back together and then and then they go and perform. So for me, yeah, I, I prefer, prefer the development side of the athlete when they're fit. Yeah. Number four, the importance of taking risks. Yeah, well, you've got to be prepared to fail, and I've made a lot of failures, you know. Um, I, I, have this, I have this view of failing up. So, like, I could tell, like, I went for one job, um, and I thought, oh, yeah, there's no way I'll get this job. And I was right, I didn't. But I got interviewed, and I got good feedback, and I thought, you know what, that's the best fail I've ever had. So, yeah, just reframe it. Yeah, I love it. Do, so do you believe in regrets? Do you, do you have any regrets? Do you believe in regrets? You know what? Now you've asked me the question, I can't come up with one for you. Yeah. Um, you know, some people so, say, no, nah, I don't believe in regrets, you know, like because it all, everything turns out the way it's supposed to, whatever. The big thing for me is learning. So, yeah, you can look back and you think, I could have done that differently, could have gone a different way. But what can I take from that? You got to chip. You you know it's like sport, isn't it? You can you can win or grow. Mm. Yeah. Uh, number five is your time in Darwin. I'm interested to hear what the first thing that comes to mind is on this. Well, I, I think of the staff. There's some interesting characters <laughs> at the NTIS. You've been yeah. one of them, Jacob. <laughs> you, you've been one of them. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I still remember Tad and. Him crawling around on the floor doing his stretches. You know, he's still doing that. He's still working there and he's still doing his, you know, impromptu movement stuff. (laughs) Yeah, so Darwin, one-off. It's a one-off. Yeah. And, of course, Loris, as you mentioned, is now in China and there's people going in all sorts of directions. So Yeah, that's right. Uh, Number six, doing a PhD. Um, It needs a warning. It needs a health warning on it. Be, Be really careful. If you're thinking about doing that, one of the reasons I decided I'm going to do one is to is to prove that you don't have to be clever. Oh, I like that. You just got to be able to write a big book. That's all. No one's. Hey, don't worry about it. No one's going to read it. <laughs> How many words? I don't know a lot about PhD. Is there a particular? Is there a word count? Does it have to? Yeah, be you're looking about. You're looking about hundred thousand. Hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. My my lit review is ten thousand words. Oh, uh, no, not the lit review. The reference list was 10,000 words. Far out. So, yeah, <laughs> definitely needs a warning to come. And how many years did that take you? Well, I, I had rage. I call it rage. 
Um, so I did it with a full-time job and I did it in three and a half years. Well, yeah, that's the full-time. I don't know how you managed to do that. Okay, I take back what I said about balance. <laughs> <laughs> Number seven, this one's kind of topical that it's coming up next, but in the conversation it did come up next and that is unemployment. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, what I take from that is you'll find yourself in a time where you realize there's a need to sell yourself. But in actual fact, um, all the time before that is the opportunity to make that impression. Um, and so it reinforces it's the same message that came through with the kids in my book. What makes a real difference to your progression is how well you've made an impression on people. So um, if at the time that you're unemployed, that's when you first start to think about that, then that gives you a bit of a problem. Mm. Yeah. Number eight, listening to young athletes. Yeah, well, what I go back to is coaches always ask questions to athletes, okay? Well, I say that, that's the best way that we recommend that you coach. You don't just tell, you ask. But how many times do coaches ask questions that they don't know the answer to? Most of the time, they're asking the question because they've got an answer that they want the athlete to say, to see if they're on the, the same page and the athlete gets it right. What I challenge coaches to do is see if you can learn from your athletes. So actually ask them questions that you don't know the answers to. I'm going to pause there for a second because that's like a clip for Instagram right there. That's one of our little promo for this episode. <laughs> what is the time for this? It's about an hour. All right, number nine, writing a book. Yeah, it, it's, it's fun if, you, if you've got an appetite for it. Um, I must admit, I'm having fun definitely because um, some of the feedback that I'm getting is saying that people are finding it valuable. So, yeah, it doesn't have to be an encyclopedia. My book's pretty quick um, can be read in a couple of hours. So yeah, it's just another thing, you know, when you, when you going down your bucket list of things you wanted to do, um, if you want to do it, um, just remember that email that I kept getting, which was, if you, if you could have done it on your own, you'd have done it by now. Well, you got a choice. You don't have to, you can spend 30 grand on the guy from America. <laughs> Love that. Um, do you know off the top of your head, how many pages your book is? 80. 80, yeah. Yeah. All right, no, number 10 is a generic question which I ask everybody, and it's probably a bit of an insight into the craziness of my mind, uh, and that is if you could go forward in time or back in time, which would you go to and why? And I have to just give you some explanation here. You can come back to now because sometimes when I ask this question, people freak out and think that they're stuck in that point in time. Uh, so you can – it's all. It's about time travel. I'd love if there's something that I'd love to experience in my life, it is time travel. I'd love to be able to do it. So would you go forward or back in time? At which point in time would you go to and why? Well, that's really simple for me. I'd be going forwards. And because my family is so important to me, um, I like, I'd really like to be able to see what they're doing when I'm not going to be here. Yeah. You know, see what, they're, see what my kids are doing, see what their kids are doing. Um, especially, you know, being heavily into sport. I haven't got any grandkids at the moment. I'm hoping I get some. My, my daughter's getting married in September. Um, but when their kids grow up and they start doing sports, we'll be able to see that, you know, that would be fantastic. 
Yeah, that's awesome. All right, before I let you go, tell me quickly about that picture behind you because it's a really nice, colourful picture. If anyone's watching this on YouTube, you will see that bright, colourful, those beach houses there. I'm presuming that's in Portsea maybe in Victoria? No, that's actually, that's, that's actually Brighton. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah it's the, um, the famous beach boxes on Brighton Beach. So a local artist who's painted that and got a shop nearby. My wife really liked the look of it. So, yeah, we bought that. Those um, beach boxes... I um I kind of considered that you know because because of the house prices I could either buy a house in Queensland or a beach box in Brighton, um because they're unbelievable how much they cost. Oh really? Um yeah I think they're probably about four hundred grand when they, when they come up but they won't they won't come up and like you, there's nothing in them it's just a shed. Yeah. <laughs> and they don't come up very often but yeah they're quite iconic Brighton beach beach boxes. Awesome. It's so bright and colorful. I love it. And I haven't been able to take my eyes off it this whole time as I've been fixated on your conversation. Um, congratulations on becoming father of the bride in a few months' time. Yeah, brilliant. Thanks. I should and also mention my, my other daughter who's doing really well in her job as well. She works for um, Cotton On. She's a, she is um, got a degree in fashion design. She's early in her journey. So, yeah, I've got three kids. Really proud of them all. So, so what are the two? So, so one of the girls is, is getting married. What does she do? She works in project management. She actually set off on a, a worldwide um, backpacking tour before COVID. And then COVID kind of kiboshed that for her. So she bunkered down in England, got herself a really good job working for the um, British Rail as a project manager. Um, so she's done that for a while, but now she's got the, um, the book back for traveling. So once her and her husband-to-be are married, um, because here's the short, they actually met during her travels on a bus in New Zealand. Oh, really? Uh, they've hooked back up, they've ended up getting married, and they're both quitting their jobs and going back traveling and then coming to Australia. Yeah. Where are they going traveling to? Oh, uh, well, my daughter is such a planner that she's got a spreadsheet that's got the sun on it. So wherever the sun is, she kind of follows it. Um, <laughs> so I don't know, she's been to 40 countries already in her, in her travels. So, yeah. yeah. Nice. Um, I have actually been to England once for three days. I think I had the only three days of sunshine apparently um, in the time we were there, but I loved it. I loved um, the London Eye and that, what's it called, Hyde Park, the one that goes up to Buckingham Palace. Beautiful. And actually my favourite country I've ever been to is Greece and in particular Santorini. So I can highly recommend that for her, although she's probably already been there. (laughs) I'll tell her. Yeah. Um, And then the other one too I just saw the other day, um, was the Dolomites in Italy? I reckon that would be amazing as well. That'd be yeah, a cool place yeah, to yeah. She's been there. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no surprise. So the one who's working at Cotton On and is a fashion designer. What's her big goal? Is she the next um, big name in fashion? Well, at the moment she works on the shoots, um, so she's kind of in creative design um, with all the the little the the babies and the little kids, organising them um, for the big pictures in the shop windows. Um, so yeah, she's just really early in a journey, and she's just having a great time um, at Cotton On, working in Geelong. Yeah, we can't talk about everyone in the family except for your wife. So, what? Tell us a bit about your wife. What is she? Yeah, well, what, my wife's. Um, she's the brains. She she's the um, executive director of the College of Law in Victoria. So she lawyer by trade. Does she have a law degree? Lawyer by degree. Lawyer by degree, but. Um, has done a lot of work in um, in business as a as a manager. And last question, then, seeing as I've got you, and this is just a, a nice 
it's almost like a catch up. It's very, it feels very informal. Yeah. Um, what's next for you? Where, where are you going to next? Do you even know what's next? Well, obviously, Brisbane 2032 is a really nice thing to be working towards. And I'd have been invited into this athlete development space for the IS to see how we can support that. So, yeah, I'm just currently looking at that in lots of different ways. There's lots of opportunity. You know, just recently I was in the, the US talking to MIT about the use of artificial intelligence to support um, developing players with decision making. So, yeah, I'm just having fun at the moment, seeing where we can take that. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, Graham, if anyone would like to get the book, head to Amazon and look up The Young Athlete's Perspective, Graham Turner, PhD. Any final thoughts, words, words of wisdom? No, just thanks very much, Jacob. Been, uh, it's been great. Great to catch up. Yeah, it has been awesome to catch up. It's been a few years and it's been too long. Yeah. <laughs>